The songs that we sing and the scriptures that we are able to read all are an effort to try to challenge us, encourage us, and to rethink about who we are and why we are here. It's hard for us to grasp that concept of eternity, hard to grasp that concept of, of God and his wisdom in laying out the foundation for the world and for man's redemption along the way. Peter, as he was writing in the first letter, in the first chapter, talked about the salvation that the prophets had inquired about in verse 10, being revealed to them that it was not for them but for us that that gospel was being preached. But also reminding us there in verse 12, that the angels desire to look into. They wanted to know. Trying to picture eternity, God in his glory, everything perfect, if you will, and then to have God plan for redemption or plan for creation of the world and then the redemption of man. And it really was something the angels wanted to know. How is this going to happen? What was involved in it? And again, Genesis being the book of beginnings, in essence, is really a, a good nutshell of, of all of time. It has a lot to deal with how man created an image of God would respond. Again, I've always been intrigued by Genesis 2, 7, of God forming man out of the dust of the ground and breathing into his nostrils the breath of life and man becoming a living being. Because the rest of it he speaks in his soul. Creates the universe, creates the world, creates animal life, plant life. But man has special attention. And it's hard as you look at history from our perspective to again to see that wonder of God and what he's done. But as you look at Genesis, it's about God who makes and keeps promises. And oftentimes in the most unlikely of circumstances. But that's a key factor in there. From Genesis through Revelation. God makes promises concerning mankind. He makes promises to mankind. 
He lays hope before mankind, and God keeps his promises. Again, you see the fall of mankind in Genesis 3 into chapter 4. You see it again in chapter 6. Catch a glimpse of it again in chapter 11. And then in chapter 12, we have the call of Abraham and the promises that God would give to him and his family. That he'd make of him a great nation. That he'd give him the land of Canaan. And that he would bless all the nations through him. Then as you continue to read, you see that seeming to be a most unlikely situation. You see... Even with Abraham, the misunderstanding, the promise of God, of his keeping his promise at the beginning, been promised that he would make of him a great nation, and then the age of Abraham when he's called, the years that pass, and nothing seems to happen. The impatience of man that has always seemed to be a part of our nature, if you will, human nature. The desire to take things into your own hand. If I'm going to have an heir, then let me plan how this is going to be rather than trusting God. And then you watch the generations as they unfold and as they pass. You see patterns of favoritism. You see patterns of deceit. You see the patterns which jeopardize the unity of the family. And you see the pattern of maybe jeopardizing the fulfillment of the promise that God had made. By the time that you get to Joseph and his brothers... Look at that situation. Joseph's brothers have torn the family apart by their jealousy and their lies. And Joseph would find a home in Egypt in a widespread famine that would threaten the family's survival in Canaan. And you wonder, as the angels would wonder, how is this going to work? And has it really changed down through human history? Have we honestly learned that trust that God makes promises and that God keeps promises? That he does watch out over his people. We know the 23rd Psalm from memory Yet do we really believe it? That he actually watches over and guides us as we go through the valley of the shadow of death? That he prepares a table before us 
in the presence of our enemies? Do we really believe that his rod and his staff they comfort us? Or do these trials and tribulations, do these setbacks, do these family squabbles, both physically and spiritually, do they set out to destroy our faith and our conviction of who God is and what he has done? The Lord has not forgotten his promises. And he has not given up on his people. Put together as you read through Genesis. And then you can start all over again with Exodus and throughout the Old Testament. God remembers his promises. God keeps his promises. But in his plan, Sometimes we have also forgotten of how God has chosen to do that. Abraham would believe that he was the blessed father of many nations, that his people would be God's people, and that they would dwell in that land of Canaan. But you see the struggle they had before they ever got there. And they forgot also God's time schedule. He promised to give them a land, but the land was not ready for them to receive them as of yet. Because he was still dealing out some retribution or some punishment upon the nations that lived within that land and their rebellion against God, and their time had not yet come. Then Israel and his people at time would forget. God says, I give you the land. Go in and take the land. And 10 of the 12 spies said, no, that's an impossibility. And it would be easy to say, how could they say that? After they had seen the deliverance of Egypt from Egypt, the care in the wilderness, the power of God, and then doubt God. To make the statement, God says, the land is yours, go and take it. And the people says, there's no way that we can take that land. The people are too mighty that are in the land. And that would be a characteristic that would come down through history, would it not? Drop down a few generations and you would see Israelites (coughs) trying to figure out how to deal with the Philistines and one called Goliath. There's no way we can defeat him. He's too big. And he's taunted the armies of Israel. And again, I'm always intrigued by the phrasing. The army said that he's taunted the army of Israel. David said he has defiled the living God. And for them, for him, it was a difference. 
David was fighting for God. The battle belongs to the Lord, we sing about. Doesn't matter what it is or how intense it is, the battle belongs to the Lord. The duration is not the issue. What happens during that duration? Generations can come and, and go. Souls can be won and souls can be lost. But the battle still belongs to the Lord. And God works all things, even the evil intentions of man, and even the terrible circumstances that man encounters. He's able to work it out for good. It's what Joseph is going to tell his brothers, is it not? Genesis 15, verse 20. Listen, you meant it for evil. That was an evil intention on the brother's part, was it not? They had no love for Joseph. They had no forethought of what he, who he might be. They had listened to his dreams, and they didn't like those. And so they had evil intentions, and they executed those intentions, save being the killing of Joseph, but to get rid of it. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. There's a plan in there that they hadn't seen, but there was something in Joseph's life that was different. He's one of the few that have this glimmer of that true nature of God. There's no animosity that is ever described or attributed to Joseph, despite what their brothers did to him. Despite of what they did to Joseph and the heartache that it caused their father, who believed that he would grieve to his death over the, the loss of Joseph. There's no thought on the part of Potiphar's wife of who Joseph might be and the role that she would have in history, God's history. How can I do this great evil and sin against my God? You catch those glimpses here and there. Those are reminders to us that again, you look at creation, then you look at world history, and then you look at those angels again wondering, what's going on? How is this working? That when there's a promise of that Messiah, of how those that should have longed for him, those that should have anticipated him, those that should have rejoiced greatly when he came, were the very ones that despised him, rejected him, betrayed him, 
and had him murdered by the hands of godless men. And yet God never forsook him. He would deal with them. They would have to deal with that and how they dealt with it. There's no record of it. From the Passover feast and the killing of Jesus to that day of Pentecost, 50 days later. Of having to think about what had taken place. Then to have that glorious gospel preached. And, the, and again, all the way through the remainder of human history, it's that back and forth fought along the way. God had made a way for Joseph to be reunited with his family. God had provided the way for Joseph to have peace with his brothers and to provide refuge for all his relatives in Egypt. And for Joseph to have the attitude that he had towards his brothers. Where'd that come from? That history that they recited over and over again. The history that they often forgot. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Noah. All that history of saying there are those who found favor in the eyes of God and who trusted him. You intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. Joseph could see life in a different perspective than those that were his family. Joseph had a confidence in the God that he served. He had a conviction that God would keep his word. As of yet, they had not gone to that promised land, had not yet gone to Canaan. But Joseph was absolutely convinced that regardless of the 400 years spent in Egypt, not him, but the Israelites, that the 400 years spent in Egypt and all that time frame in between would not stop God from keeping his promise. So he made his brethren promise him when I'm gone, and when you do go to Egypt, I mean to Canaan, take my bones with you. What a thought. You're going. Do not know when. Do not know how. But I do trust the one who made the promise. You're going to the land of Canaan. 
you take my bones with you. So Israel, as they traveled in the wilderness, carried the bones of Joseph and also carried the ark that contained the Ten Commandments in it. But they carried the bones of Joseph towards that promised land. Do we have that conviction? Do we have that trust that God is able to keep his word? We, again, as human beings, are guided by time. We have beginnings of days. We have end of days. That's a given. Human beings, we have that. And so that kind of dominates our life and how we see and perceive things, time frame. We've got time segments. We work with those at times. Here's now, and here's what we're planning for. Here's what's down in the future. This is what we want to do. And we've got it within a box that we can identify our lifetime. And it's hard for us, as it was for Israel so many times, you have to think outside the box. Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So you are a new creature. You are a new creation. You are a spiritual child of the living God. And as a spiritual child of the living God, who has neither beginning of days or end of days, that's the God whom we serve, of whom we are his child. We're not bound by the boundaries. Physically, yes. We were born, we live, and we're going to die. But our spiritual applications, the spiritual things that we do as his children, are without bounds. What we do here, what we do now, is not limited to us. It has a much broader scope than that. It deals with eternity. Again, I've talked before, I mean, this again considering what it took for us to be here this evening. The lives, the lives that have touched our lives, the lives that helped us succumb to the gospel, and all that's involved in that. Just, I mean, you get to do it immediately, and that's mind-boggling. But do you go back and you go back and go back and go back and go back? I mentioned being converted by a campaign in Germany. And it was, they brought over students from Harding. And I don't know if Oklahoma Christian was involved in some of that at the time or not, but I know at least Harding students came over. Well, then you think, what was involved in the lives of every one of those students who came over? What was involved in the lives of those who brought the, the men over to, to do the work? I mean, how many lives were involved in that aspect? That's just one. Look at the rest of us. 
how far does it go out? I mentioned I love the beauty of God. You know, to see it, I've mentioned before, to, to know the man who preached the gospel that I was converted in. And then 40 years later, to meet the individual that taught that man the gospel, then it let him become a Christian. What a, what a concept. That's just one. You multiply that out a thousand generations. And you think about that thousand generations. God has promised to bless his children for a thousand generations. If you look at the beginning of time down to now, we have not gone very far in that thousand generations. We hadn't reached a quarter mark in that, I guess, or whatever it may be. It's just, how long will God bless his people? thousand generations, another simpler way of saying God will always bless his people. We're his. And even though we do not see it, even though Abraham may not have seen it, it took a while for him to catch the full gist of what God was doing. And Joseph's brothers took a while for them to see what was involved. Do we trust God enough to believe what Joseph is saying down here at the end? What man? I mean, in Joseph's case, what brothers, physically, and it can be spiritually as well, what brothers meant for evil, God has meant for good. It helps you to reshape your focus. Trust in the one who has the power. Remember again, the battle belongs to the Lord. Be on the Lord's side. So as you go through the sands of time, at the end, you be with him. And what is it based on? Based on trust and obey. Trust God. Whatever the Lord says, that will do. Trust and obey. Wherever the Lord sends, that's where we'll go. However he desires us to be used, that's how we'll be used. Because heaven is much too precious to lose over trivial matters here on the earth. Where are you in this relationship with God? Do you have that attitude that Joseph had? God has a plan, Joseph said, and I've seen him execute it. Do you see that? You catch that glimpse in the life we live? Trust and obey. If you would be subject to that invitation and either becoming a Christian or renewing that life in Christ Jesus again, if we could assist you, if we could help you, indeed we bid you to come.
as together we stand and sing. <laughs> 